You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 19 of the FitFo podcast, where I have conversations with amazing moms, dads, and thought leaders of all different industries in hopes to help me figure out just how to become the father that I want to be for my two young girls. My guest on this episode is a best-selling author, sought-after public speaker, and a business coach. Her clients range from global and Fortune 500 clients down to small and medium-sized entrepreneurs as well. She is a partner at Winning Streak Ventures, which is an early stage venture capital fund. And the novel she co wrote, Bridge the Gap, was featured as one of the top three business books of 2022 by Inc. and featured in Forbes, Miss Jennifer Edwards. During this conversation, we discuss tactics they lay out in the book to help you foster both better professional and personal relationships. She breaks down the science behind how our brain is wired to respond in pressure situations and gives you tools you can use to more effectively communicate to your two-year-old having that tantrum or an 82-year-old in your family and anybody in between. When you get Daniel Pink to endorse your book as a guide for any professional to build a better collaborative environment, you know you're onto something. I love the book and it was even better to take a deep dive on this episode. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Jen Edwards. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the FitFo podcast today. It's so fun to have you here, making the trip all the way up to El Dorado Hill, so thank you. Glad to be here, thrilled to be here. You've done some amazing podcasts. I've loved listening to them, so look forward to learning together. Uh, well, I'm gonna learn a lot from you. I just got done with the book, Bridge the Great. Gap. I will plug it. Thank uh, you. It's awesome, by the way. And like for me, coming from a, a sales perspective, like the, the manual is like Dale Carnegie's, like how to win friends and influence people. This is one I think every sales professional has to read. Uh, and I wanna dive into that in a little bit, but for you, just so you know, like I've already used these tactics in real life and they've helped. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, we wrote a book to be practical for the everyday professional because let's all admit it, we struggle to understand, like, and respect people in our lives. And if we're really honest, people struggle to understand and respect us sometimes too. Right. And so we wanted to write a book that said, okay, if that's just one hard truth, that's like life. How do you use the understanding of brain chemistry and human dynamics and this human suit we're stitched into to have better conversations so that we can all have greater collaboration and curiosity together to move the work forward and to move life forward? So that's why I wrote the book. Uh, so how did you guys get together? So you and Katie, yep. Katie McCleary is her name, right? Yep. Uh, so how did that come about? So Katie and I met and we didn't want to. And if you watch our TED Talk. Which um, I have. Okay, and great. If anybody hasn't watched it, give it a listen. What I review. And we're actually at 500,000 views in eight weeks. So in, it is going viral. Oh my gosh. Yeah, super exciting. But we met and we felt like we were being forced to meet. I didn't need to meet somebody um, for a glass of wine. And yet everybody kept saying, you got to meet her and you got to meet her. So we met over a glass of wine with clear reluctance on both our parts. <laughs> and in the end, we knew that there was a special nugget between us. And that special nugget was a spark. And that spark was actually because we were polar opposites. Mm. She's a liberal, I'm a conservative. She's a Buddhist, I'm a Christian. 
she's raising her kids in a very different way. I'm raising them kind of more by the book. Mm. Um, traditionally and you know she's a creative and I'm much more of a professional executive focus and so we showed up thinking there was nothing we could learn from each other and we found out that um, actually we needed each other we needed to figure out how to have these conversations in the polarizing times we're in that's so impactful for people to hear because right now it feels like it's so divisive, yeah. right? It's like you're on the right, you're on the left. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned it in the book and I think um, Gary Vee was the first person I ever heard mention it, but it was purple. It's like we need to try to blend the two together. And I think how you guys explain showing up curious to those conversations is how people can do that because I'm not going to try to change your opinions of who you are, what your values are, nope. and, and nor do I want you to try to do that for me. But it is my job, I think, to listen to you and hear your point of view and your perspective so I can get a better understanding. I just don't think we're doing that enough. No, and it's 2023. We're going into a next cycle of politics. Yeah. Um, there is polarization, fractionalization everywhere in our society. And I deeply believe that if we have any chance at community, at peace, at healing in this democracy that's fragile, it's frail it's going to be we need to learn how to use curiosity as a tool and to care enough about the other person's lived experience to say hey i'll be with you long enough to understand you i may not love what you say i may not even agree but you know i have enough dignity for the human condition to be with you long enough to see your point of view and to have that respect that yeah. it's okay for you to have that point of view yeah, yeah i think it's um Something that luckily I've never experienced in the workplace, but you know, you're seeing more statistics about how that's rising and, and how people are starting to talk about it. I'm curious if you've seen any like stats about that or, or how you think about politics bringing into the workplace and how people can bridge that gap. Uh, I hope I could remember the quote. It's in our TED talk. Sherm replaced up 49% of people in a survey. We need to go look at that data so we can maybe put it below in the notes. Yeah. Show that um, they've had a serious political polarizing conversation that resulted in a breakdown around like a water cooler that yeah. caused them to think about leaving the workforce leave that that work job yeah. um that data is you know staggering so yeah. um and let alone it's happening in our families totally you know covid revealed that wow a little mask a little piece of thing created massive division and i understand it mm. but even in our families we need to learn how to talk to people who are different than we are I mean, as a father, you're going to be raising girls that may see the world differently than you. And so, you know, these skills are essential for all of us. Yeah, that's something I do think about often as a father is like, you know, luckily, unfortunately, my wife and I, we, we see it aligned on a lot of things. And yeah. I think that, you know, uh, we want to try to instill that in our girls, our values, our core principles and who we are as people, but also mm -hmm. let them explore for themselves who they are and what they want to become. And you know, your book, you talk a lot about bridging the gap and I think in the workplace, but I did want to segue to talking a little bit about in the home front too Absolutely. and how you break down those uh, curiosity barriers. And, you know, you, you talk about Amy, uh, maybe we could start with her, sure. but who is Amy? And tell me a little bit more about what you learned. So um, Amy um, is the key player in our book and she actually is a short acronym for the word amygdala. And the amygdala is the fight or flight part of our brain that really lights up when under pressure. Mm. And when we're under pressure, whether it's real, like a tornado or a hurricane or something even more horrific, or perceived shame, worry, and Brian, have you ever had a phone number pop up 
that just sent your body to a sense of dread or panic. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, what happens in that moment is Amy lights up and sends a chemical cocktail to your prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the place where your brain makes decisions, gets curious, has wonder, has language, has reason. And if you're like me, have you ever watched words come out your mouth when you were under pressure that you're ashamed of? Yeah, unfortunately too much. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we did is we wrote this book, but really not just for the workplace, for all of us to understand that Amy's real, this human suit gets pressure, and we have to find the skills to say, hey, Amy, you're not in charge. I can show up clean. I can show up curious and really change the dynamic of the experience, the engagement, the interaction, the relationship I'm in. Mm. And like when you think about uh, Amy, as you call her, yeah. in a child's brain, right, it's just starting to form. You know, those first three years are so imperative because all those neurons are starting to fire together. And so that's what I think about most commonly now. And I need to think about more from my personal perspective, too. But, you know, how am I instilling those uh, firing patterns and what am I instilling in them that they're going to have that response. They're going to have that cortisol, you know, rush or not, you know, the way that I approach them when they do something wrong. Right? Do I yell? Do I teach them to respond with anger and frustration? So Am I good. cool? Am I calm? Do I take eight seconds to pause and yeah. think before I react? Because I want them to be able to do that. Uh, so your book really put that to the top of mind. And I'm curious if there's any other learnings that you took away from how you developed that from a child's perspective. You, you just nailed it. So um, there's an expression we like to say, and it's this. We're all doing the best we can with the skills we can access in the moment we're in. So one of your daughters, or we're lucky enough to have two granddaughters right now, and um, I got to see one of them have like a little mini meltdown the other day, a two-year-old tantrum. And in that moment, I'm sure you've watched your own little daughters do this. Frequently. Her amygdala has taken control and has become, um, her her brain just has no sense of logic anymore. Mm. And the body just goes into pure fundamental reaction. And one of the most important things we, in our human suit, have to control is not to be reactive to that reactive child. So hard. Or or adult, whomever it is, right? And what we have to do in that moment is realize that that situation right there is an amygdala hijack. Mm. And in that moment, that person can't hear anything, be an adult or a child. They can't learn anything new. They're so triggered, they want to reject any change you bring at them. And so the most important thing we can do when we're interacting with anyone, any age, in that state is say, okay, I'm not going to get triggered. And they're doing the best they can given that their amygdala is hijacked. I'm going to pause and wait until they have emptied that set of noise, Mm. pressure. And then only then can I be curious enough to see if I might put a new idea, a corrective measure into their human suit. So it's really important to understand the brain. If you don't understand the brain, we can't respond to help people optimize their own performance, whether it's a two-year-old or an 82-year-old. Yeah, and you mentioned breathe. And I think in the book, it might be breathe squared or the yeah. process. Yeah. Maybe explain that a little bit. For well, the let me just give you an example. Um, just yesterday, my husband and I were sitting in the pool and he asked me a set of questions and I was like, getting really tight in my body. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're like, come on, dude. Yeah, at the dinner table. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and I'm like watching my body and I thought to myself, 
oh my gosh, you're getting completely reactive to what's probably just an innocent set of questions. So I actually took a breath and I said to, to my husband, I said, hey, I'm feeling a little bit anxious or triggered right now. Could we just cut this conversation for a minute? Let me breathe. And then could you come at it with me a little bit more curious so that we could engage as opposed to kind of like ping at each other. Mm. And it was healthy because he didn't mean it from bad intent. His day had been tired and long. My day had been tired and long. And so we had two energies or exhausted that weren't ready for a conversation. And so often we have to realize that if we could just breathe in that moment, reset, we can actually find a new way for our prefrontal cortex to actually engage. Because when it's tired, when it's clean, calm and ready, it can create so many breakthroughs. Yeah, that's so tough, especially after both sides having a long day, right? And, you know, in my situation, very fortunate. You go home after a long day, don't you? Yeah, and, you know, my emotions are, you know, I'm thinking about all these different things that are going on. What do I need to do today? You know, I need to report this to the investors. I need to be able to come through for this customer. You know, I need to manage this relationship with my, you know, Mm -hmm. teammate because maybe I didn't approach the conversation the right way, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, when are you going to fix that sink? When are you going to go do X? And I'm like, ah, do you realize what I just went through today? And then, you know, on her side of the table, it's like yeah. she's been with two young children all day long Drained. with yes emotional requests you can't reason with a toddler very well <laughs> and you know she's been having somebody needing and relying on her day in and day out hour after hour and so you know sometimes especially after reading this book it's like all right let's take a step back let's breathe i know you didn't say that intentionally to hurt me yeah. uh, you didn't even mean it that way at all but yeah. it's just how i took it because of where my cup was at, I think to refer yeah. your book a little bit more. Um, and I just needed to like let that out first before I was ready to take on more that she needed to put my way. Um, I'd love to comment on that because I think you just said something that's really important. Um, we come in hot way too often, mm. not realizing that it actually creates a wake. And so one of the things that we know is intention, where you put your attention really matters. And so when you're walking in the door, one of the things I help people and I even work on myself in is like, how am I going to walk in that door that night? It's uh, important. As that garage door opens and I walk in, like I set the tone. I either come in hot or I come in gentle. And I have come in hot way too often. And what's the result? Not good. And so what you're saying makes um, so much sense and it's so important for all of us in parenting. Like you are the master of your human suit. Get control. Don't walk in before you're ready. Um, And when you walk in, the very first thing to do is to understand that other person has an emotional need that needs to be met. And as the leader of your family, it's time for you to step in and and it's time for me too. I mean, like we all have to step in and say, hey, tell me about your day. Let me be someone who's here to listen before I talk. That's so good. I definitely need to use that more often. And I think about, have you ever read the book, The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman? And so uh, that was one that I referred to as, you know, who is that ego that when you walk through that door and you have that drive home and maybe it's walking down the stairs nowadays in the virtual world that people are living in, you know, you might not get that time to decompress and put that other suit on. And not that you should be, you know, have fake instances of yourself, but how you show up for your family needs to be different than how you show up for work. And you need to show up differently than how you show up for your parents or your family, right? And so, um, yeah, I, I try to take that breath right before I walk in. I have like a fun announcement to the family that I'm home and like sing or whatever to the girls, but it really helps me switch gears 
to be ready to embrace them the way that they need me to show up versus how I want to show up. so good. You know, we've even been so intentional in our marriage that we have an agreement that when we walk in the door, that the other person has all technology down and we meet each other at the door. Oh, I love that. And that just says, hey, I'm so glad you're home. You're my person. And for the next 30 minutes, it's all, and it's not fake. It's just like, hey, I want to greet you at the door to welcome you back in to this world where we share and create greatness. Mm. And you have to be really intentional about those things because the world out there, it's harsh. And I know as, you know, as the goal of this podcast is to, to figure it out. And, you know, the one thing we want to do is we want to make our homes places where we can safely fail, mm. safely grow, have conversations that are deeply awkward, but intimately loving. And so like how you show up matters. And it all starts with how you walk in the door and that culture you build in your home. Oh, that's, um, I'm definitely going to need to uh, remember that just putting the phone down like what you said that first 30 minutes because you know sometimes i'll I'll rush home in between like calls to be able to be there have dinner but like i'm really thinking about this email that i still haven't gotten back to or i've got this call within you you know coming up in an hour and a half and like you know you're not present so i think what you just mentioned was a big one on presence that every parent can you know learn from and there was a quote that i heard one time but it was you know, present, uh, not with a T, but with a C, you know, because so many parents, it's like, you want to cover it up with, uh, well, let's go get a gift. Let's go get a treat. Let's go do, you know, other things to kind of, uh, make up for the time lost. Uh, but that's not really making up for it. We all know that it's just, you know, covering a wound, but not trying to solve or, you know, improve what really the problem is, which is presence. Um, so a segue from there, I guess, uh, and there's so many different things I want to talk about in the book because, you know, it's not just a self-help book. It's not just a business book. I mean, there's so many things that you can apply it for. Um, but what would you say has been the biggest response? Like what segment of the book have you gotten the most praise for, whether it's your friends, whether it's people that you don't know, like what stood out the most? That's a good question. Um, I'd say that there's two parts. Number one, demystifying the science of the brain of what's really happening. Amy, mm-hmm. people have found such great, um, like, relief. <sighs> like, oh, you mean this is natural? You mean when I feel pressure and I get heated, my words and thoughts go sideways, I'm not weird? We're like, no, actually, that's just what the brain does. So we've gotten a lot of support for that. And then the second thing we've really gotten a lot of support for is this idea of um, listening and curiosity. We ask a question and it's this, do you listen to your listening? Think about that. Do you actually listen to how you make meaning of words? Because I can say a sentence like this, it is raining. And you can hear it in so many different ways. I love rain. Oh no, it's ruining my plans. And how you choose to listen frames everything. And so it's really around listening to your listening and saying, how clean a listener am I? How much do I project my lived experience, my values, my pressure on to the listening? And then how much can I show up with curiosity, not fake, but really curiosity to say, huh, what's in front of me and how can I support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you wrote in the book and I'm gonna not, remember the chapter i think it's the curious conversations maybe it's chapter 11. Um, but i think about 
again, to reference Dale Carnegie, people always listen with the intent to respond. They don't truly listen to what is Bingo. being said. Yeah. And how you guys phrase it in the book was just, it was so spot on. Like I've been giving feedback to sales team members for years, but I've never been able to articulate it in the way that you guys did in that people are always looking to try to find that common ground yeah. to build rapport, build relationships, but they always try to put their life experiences into that conversation versus just letting the person on the other side of the table actually have the entire conversation. Hard to do. It's really tough. We grew up in a society where you say something and I wanna say, me too, me too, me too. Can I tell you about my experience? And we call that a competitive two-way conversation. And Brian, I do it too. I mean, like, even though we teach this stuff, it's so, our, our, our human need to be seen, understood and valued, like, it drives behavior at such a high level that like we're constantly like, see me. But it takes such presence with the C, like you said, to say, oh wait, hold on. I love this person I'm in front of enough or I respect this person I'm in front of enough, enough to say, tell me more and what else? And to let them empty their metaphorical cup mm. so that they can have an experience of being seen, heard and understood. It's rare. Yeah, you've mentioned the one way versus the two way uh, conversation. And I think we've all been there, right? It's just something that's innate to us. And I'm trying to think of like, how do I teach that to the girls? Bless you. Thank you. And how do I think through that to, to show them how to be effective communicators at a young age when, you know, it's uh, right now we're going through the comp- competition stage. It's like, I win, right? Like, dad, I win. I'm going up the stairs. I win, win. right? I love that and, phase, though. Oh, it's so fun. And, and as a competitive, you know, person, and I love, you know, athletics, and I hope that they will at some point, too. Um, but it, it, it's turning almost too much into, like, it's about me. Yeah. And I'm worried about that because, I'm like, if they're already doing that at this stage, how are they going to do that in conversations? And how are they going to do that with building relationships when they go off to school or summer camps or whatever yeah. the case may be? Um, so I'm curious how you might teach that to some, I know you also coach and mentor people. Yeah. How do you teach people to have those one way, two way conversations, I should say? Let's start with the kiddos. So some really interesting things. Love and Logic has some great tools as well. But one of the brain tools that we teach children is we don't teach them the experience from us is a non-rushed experience when they want to talk that we're curious long enough with them to let them process longer. So. Let's be honest. Are you ever on a time frame with the kids where you're like, let's just go? Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. And so they're feeling the pressure of the, we got to find enough time with them to be like, oh, tell me more. And what else? Oh, I hear it. What makes you think that? To be long enough to allow them to process and start thinking critically, even at three years old. Mm. So it's really around you demonstrating that. Also, they're watching how you and Brittany interact. They're watching your tone. They're watching your one-upness or your absolute compassion for each other. So that's really where it's taught. I wish it weren't so like, there's there's a great expression. Things are either taught and caught. Oh, yeah. They're gonna caught or catch that between you both. So that's, that's the number one thing. And then the number two thing for all of us to ask questions that are open-ended and that don't lead with an agenda. It's really hard mm. because we all want to look smart. We want to respond, but asking questions like, tell me about what else, share with me. And avoiding questions that trigger Amy when we're connecting with people. Um, the We talk about a few of them in the book, but one of the most powerful questions that we've been taught to ask that just is poison is why? Yeah. Why is there no coffee? Why are you running late today? 
Why are you acting like that? Your middle finger just comes up. And so we need to watch with our kids. The why triggers the life or death, fight or flight thing. So those are just a few ideas. What are some ways that you can rephrase the why? Like, yeah. because I agree and I never thought about it that way because you hear Simon Sinek talk about the power of why. Which and, is. And it's it's beautiful thing. Yeah. But you know, your why from a purpose perspective is different than what I'm talking to you about. Why did you do that? Even you saying that right now, even though I know it's, I can feel my body get tight. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> um, just try every question with tell me about, share with me. What about? What has you running late today? What's up about what's up with the coffee? And uh, yeah, people may listen to this and say like, okay, that's just semantics. You're right. And words build worlds. It's a Jewish proverb that says the words that come out your mouth, mouth build a world. It's why when we're in different cultures, we use different words out of respect for the lived experience of what the word means. Mm. So it matters. It matters a lot. Yeah, that's just those little tiny changes can really make a big difference. Absolutely. As well as, as I'm sure you know, tone. Mm. Like, you know, if you're with your children, Brian, and they're elevated, what's the number one thing you can do? Get really quiet. Yeah. But what does Amy want to make you do? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's funny because I had somebody over last night and, you know, they complimented me on like, my daughter was having one of those, you know, experiences, tantrums, <laughs> you might call them. And you know, just you mean like being normal, yeah, growing being, up, being a Amy, four year old. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just like having that patience to be calm. But I had to be like, it's because you're here. Because if I if somebody else wasn't here to witness <laughs> how I'm doing this, there's a good chance. There's a 50 percent chance maybe that I'm going to respond with uh, anger with emotions, with just quick response of that fight or flight versus taking those eight seconds, taking yeah. a deep breath, lowering my voice, moving them from that room into another room to try to calm them down and teach them the breathing patterns that they can help them refocus and recenter and then you know, move forward in the best way. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a constant struggle that, like you said, we all do it. Yeah. Um, but if you're more um, aware of it. You know, I think self-awareness is a superpower. Yeah. If you can really coach, train, and you talk about the inner narrator yeah. a little bit too. Maybe you can tell the listener about that. Well, let's use this example. I think the inner narrator is great. I think the number one thing we have to teach our children when we're young is that they are responsible for their own feelings and the experience of their feelings. Mm. So when they're in a meltdown, they won't hear anything. But afterwards, one of the most powerful things we can teach them young is Hey, what, what's one of your daughter's names? Brooklyn and Bryn. Brooklyn, you can say to Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, there's only one person who's in charge of how they feel and that's you. So how can we right now, how can you choose to feel something differently? You can take responsibility for these feelings and change it. She can start to understand that at that age. You're responsible for you, Brooklyn. You're responsible for what you're feeling inside. So let's change it because we are not at effect of what happens to us. And we are at some points, but like we have authorship, we have agency and we need to teach all of our children. They have choice. They get to write their life history. Mm. They're not, you know, victims of, of a small feeling. They can change that. We live in a victim mentality, don't we? 
uh, way too often. Right? I mean, this world is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, no we all have had that experience where, you know, the day starts off, you spill your cup of coffee, you know, I walked outside this morning, got a crack in my windshield. I'm like, how do I get a crack in my windshield? Like, what did this happen? Yeah. You know, but um, how do you respond to that? Are you that victim? Or I think you described it as a drama triangle yep. a little bit. Like, you can be a victim, persecutor, be, or a rescuer. Yeah. And you can do it to yourself, or you can do it to others. You can live a life that, doesn't have agency, doesn't have authorship. And that's no life to live. No, you have to teach the power of positivity. And, you know, I think words of affirmation is a big part, you know, teaching kids yeah. how to be grateful uh, for what they have. And, you know, I think uh, you just mentioned it, but um, that victim mentality that we're living in right now, it, I blame the parents of that yeah. generation that raised those individuals because they're enabling that. And I think it's so common as a parent to you want to enable your kids to feel um, certain things and, and feel that it's not their fault, feel that you know it's okay to make mistakes, feel like, oh, well, even though you lost, you know, you're still a winner in my book. And don't get me wrong, I think there's importance to, to do that. But when you celebrate eighth yeah. place trophies and you uh. celebrate uh, losing in a way that you don't teach them what the difference is of winning and losing, you know, it just sets up the slippery slope of victimhood. Yeah, I mean, that's a word. <laughs> Yeah, there's just, there's nothing more than we have to understand that on the neutral line, both above the neutral line and below the neutral line is just a reaction. Mm. And we can't always be in this false praising. We learn both above and below the neutral line. We learn both by winning and by losing. They're just experiences. And it's how we engage with our story of that experience that writes our story. You and I can experience the same thing and experience it completely differently and have a completely different life ending based on how we chose to interpret and integrate that experience into our life. Why do you think it's such a problem right now? Like, why do you think we've gotten so far into this victimhood, like in your opinion? I am very sad that we have lost the ability to have conversations around the dinner table, around our communities, churches, mosques, synagogues. We've lost the ability with friends to genuinely care. We've become a backyard nation, not a front yard nation. Oh. We're not meeting our neighbors. We're not understanding other people's lived experiences. I think there's a huge trauma that's happening based on social media and the need for us to live lives of perceived joy and perfection and as opposed to truth. Mm. And so I think we are in a perfect storm where um, if we don't reclaim this ability to birth individuals who have strong curiosity skills and conversation skills, we're headed, we're headed for harder and harder times. Oh, I think your book does a good way of starting to teach lessons that people can use to try to help bridge that gap, obviously. Um, and thank you for sharing that because, you know, for me, it, it's something that's always top of mind. And I think maybe is that what the second book that you guys are going to write is going to be about? A it little is. Bit? Yeah. Um, so we don't have a title yet. We're just submitting it to our agent, but um, it has to be an extension of that. And um, our core belief is that events happen. There's a formula we use E plus R equals O, events happen. We're not usually in control of the events that happen, mm. but we are in control of our R and that is our response. 
that changes our outcome. And so how much in between, um, Viktor Frankl wrote um, in Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, I love that book. Oh, the best. In between stimulus and response, there is a space ever so tiny. And it's in that space that we as a culture, we as humans have to embrace and say, okay, I can show up. I can show up cleaner. I can show up better. I can show up with more care, even when it sucks and is hard. But that's the only hope we have. So I think it's about the R. My next book, that's what it's going to be about. I love that. I can't wait to read it. And yeah, Viktor Frankl's book, one I read this year, and it's, oh, so I mean, I've never felt like an introspective person, but man, that one really makes you think. Yeah. And in a way that I think everybody should read. It's a quick read too. Um, yeah. But obviously his uh, purpose was driven through his adversity that he had to endure. Yeah. And that's another thing that I, um, I had a guest earlier this year, Jason Kalipa, he's like one of the world CrossFit champions multiple times. Anyways, he made a post the other day that really made me think. And he's like, what? I lived my first you know, a couple of years as a parent, trying to make sure that my kids, and I'm paraphrasing, like never felt like a problem, right? They always, yeah. they never felt that adversity. They never faced a challenge. We wanted to always care for them, coddle them, take, you know, make sure that you provide a good yeah. life. Yeah. But he's like, now as they get older, what I'm realizing is I need to teach them a little bit of adversity. Yeah. I need, whether it's basic stuff, right? Maybe you can do a cold plunge with your kids and show them how to struggle. Maybe it's, you know, fasting and you know, don't take this like, I don't think you should fast your young children, but like, no, something, you know, yeah, sure. You know, just look, those micro adversities to teach them how to have that response in those times of turmoil. Because if you can live with those yeah. day in and day out, your brain gets conditioned to be able to handle that. So well said. So well said. I, my, um, I don't know where this quote comes from. It might be a love and logic quote, but we want our children to fail as much as pos- possible while the price tag is affordable. Oh, I like that. And yet I'll own lots of times when I rescued our kids. That's, that's and, what and he's why? Yeah. The price tag was affordable. And, you know, um, so I, I think about that a lot. Learning doesn't happen when it's easy. It happens when it's hard. So let's create opportunities for them to fail. Yeah, do the hard things first and show your kids, you know, that you're having to do hard things as well. Yeah, um, humility, yeah. talk it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's probably Angela Duckworth when she talks about it in Grit, but yeah. you know, she does. she's so good at like instilling that. And I think that's a, another must read for parents, but uh, one thing that we touched on a little bit earlier that I also want to build in them is self-awareness. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, any advice there that you have about how do you teach that? Yeah. Um, I think that one of the most important things we have to get out of our sentence structure is how are you, what happened, W questions that elicit data. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be teach self-awareness, you ask questions like, tell me about what disappointed you today. Tell me about how you are. I'm um, pardon me, not how you are. Tell me about what you learned today. Tell me about what the most exciting thing you saw. Tell me, did you see anything at school today that hurt your heart? Like asking questions that outsource it first to another and then insource it to themselves. Tell me, what are you feeling today about how you were as a friend? Mm. And you can model that with Brittany. If they see that modeled, they will learn that too. Look, 
the truth of the matter is kids learn from the modeling less and more than anything else. Yeah. So it's the modeling that matters. Yeah, that's, um, you know, when I think about kids do what you do before they do what you say is a phrase that uh, I think about. And yeah, well, how you model those behaviors at home, at the dinner table, you know, through the conversations with your spouse or significant other. Um, but I've never thought about it that way of just, you know, <sighs> They shut down when you're like, how's your day today, right? You know, how was school? How was this? How was school? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, those questions don't work. What was for snack time? Uh, didn't have one. Yeah. Tell me what, what, what happened on the playground today. Tell me about the games. Ask questions that are unusual so that the brain actually has to be like, that's a question I haven't thought about. Mm. You know? Yeah. And there's another really important piece, um, and it's the fact that... Um, there's a vibrational experience we all have when we walk into a room with another person. Your children will be feeling that vibration between you and Brittany. They find their security and their confidence in your generous spirits with each other, your love, your presence, your patience together. And I've seen that with you both. You show up present with each other. You don't show up to be over each other. And the most important thing I've watched Especially when your house, you honor each other. There was an eye rolling. You have each other's backs. You don't speak ill of each other. It's really, it's really those fundamental things that you know will change the culture of families. Yeah, you're good at it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That means the world to me. And yeah, if she makes it easy, like when you get to marry somebody that you don't think you deserve, you got to try every day to to continue to earn that right you to do. be with them. Yeah. And uh, something I think about at least, right? Because um, she chose me, she is my partner. And uh, you know, I got to commit to making that uh, a big part of our day, yeah. every single day. Well, it's important and you're doing it. Oh. And we do have to show up every day with the same intention to do it again, with even more kindness and more grace and more gentleness. Yeah, and you know, I think about from a relationship perspective, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, you've had teams before, you have your clients, you know, I'm so quick to say, hey, what can I help you with today? Mm -hmm. To my team members, what do they yeah. need? Yeah. You know, is there anything that I can do today that would help your day be better? And I just don't, I know I, I personally haven't done that enough for my significant other. Yeah. It's like, why not? Right. I know it's because I'm worried that there's gonna be more stuff put on my plate that I'm ready to handle. I'm going to underdeliver. <laughs> so but it's like, what do you mean? You can't make that the priority? Like, what do you need to do today, babe, that would really make your day better? Like, what can I do to help? It's a great question. And, you know, my advice, guys, I started to try that and uh, it's working. So, yeah, uh, we'll see. And, you know, and there's that book, Five Languages of Love. Find out what the language of love of your partner is and offer it mm. as opposed to yours. And I think that you just pointed out the most important question. What can I take off your hands today? Or tell me what could be one thing I could do that would give you a smile? Or what's one thing I could do today that would create value for you here at the office or wherever it is? I mean, like those questions matter. and. The, the, the question that it's the highest contact is, how can I show up for you? Take that question and then morph it to each individual person. And they will tell you if you actually are showing up curious um, in an authentic way. You said it though, the authenticity piece, mm. because I'm not going to lie. When I first hear people say, how can I show up for you? A guard goes up. And yeah. I I don't know why that is. That's true. But it almost feels disingenuous to me at first. I'm like, hmm, 
I think there's going to be a, something at the end of this. Yeah. Like, you know, how can I show for you? How yeah, can I the add question value? doesn't work if it's if it's fake. Yeah. And I, maybe <laughs> you can just smell it. You can. You can totally <laughs> smell it and feel it. And um, yeah, it's interesting how that bullshit meter just goes up. Uh, speaking of bullshit, I think you also talked about the bullshit sandwich. Oh, gosh. Have you had one before? Yeah, I, of course. I, they're everywhere. And you want to tell everybody what it is? No, I want you to. <laughs> I mean, like... We do it to our spouses, we do our work. Like, let me tell you how great you are. Here's all the shit that you're doing. And let me tell you how great you are underneath. And we call that the bullshit sandwich. And it's just about the worst way you can give feedback because everybody knows it's coming and back to the authentic word. It's not authentic. Mm. And um, you know, the word feedback even has gotten such a label in our brain that if I hear, hey, Brian, I want to give you some feedback. What does your body do right now? Mm. It's a little tight probably, right? Yeah, it tenses up. It's like, what did I do wrong today already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, the word even, words build worlds. So if I hear feedback or I might, my body's like, oh crap, what do I have to hear about myself now? You know, oh, feedback's a gift, okay. And yeah. it still can hurt. So what we really talk about instead in the book is actually there is a really authentic way to give feedback that if consistent in your leadership, people won't feel as threatened. And it's, here's what's working, here's what's broken or not working, and here's what's missing. And when people are aware that feedback is going to be consistently given in a process and not just spit out with a fire or not good shit good, <laughs> people calm and their body's like, okay, so I know when I go to meet Brian, here's what I'm gonna do because there's always stuff that's working, there's always stuff that's broken, and there's always stuff that's missing. It's just a factual conversation. Mm. And so we really encourage people to, to, to build processes so that when you're with another, they know their brain says, oh, I know what's coming. I don't need to feel like this is a threat. Amy, you can calm down. I'm glad you explained it that way because reading it, you take it as one thing, but to hear the why behind it, yeah. it just resonates even more. Whole goal is to keep Amy out of the prefrontal cortex. Yeah, she's a frenemy, right? She's, frenemy. We want her to be there sometimes, but she yeah. shows up at some of the most inopportune as well. We do want her to be there sometimes, but not not, not in most of our Western days. Yeah. Um, how about the power moves that you talk about with Curious Conversations? You know, there's a couple that stood out to me, but you know, maybe a, a brief overview of the listener, what those are. Um, so I think the power moves... Um, it, it, it's probably easier to read it in the book, but let me give you the concept. It's that mm. in any conversations, there are a series of steps you can take based on what the brain in front of you needs. But mm. a power move actually starts by empowering the other to make a decision. By creating the context of a conversation in any way that I'm curious long enough to be with you wherever you are, and then to support you get wherever you need by helping you make a move that empowers you doesn't give me the power. And so that's what the power moves are, is like how do we empower you to make your own power move to solve your own problem? Mm. So we're very, very clear that um, we have, like I've said before, authorship in our life, but sometimes when we're stuck in the muck, we forget that we have agency. And so in that moment, um, you know, we just wanna support the other person to remember, oh yeah, wait, agency i can go figure this out and that's what those moves do yeah if you uh check it out in the book definitely it's a good outline for me uh, one that stood out was listen to the energy words yeah 
you know, because especially in interviewing like this, right? What word did you, you know, really say with enthusiasm that I can try to latch onto that can spark a fun conversation? Uh, but you're it, good at it. Thank you. I try. I'm improving. I think, but uh, in conversations, it's so often that we don't listen again with truly just understanding who that person is and what they're trying to communicate to us. Yeah. But it helps me because now I think, what was that? What was the most exciting word that they mentioned in that sentence? Yeah. Versus, what am I going to say next? Yeah, and that's so common. So common. And you made a really interesting point: is that when you're with somebody, and you really want to help them see something new, don't translate it for them. Listen for their word. So, like, let's say somebody's talking, 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 and they like, it was an amazing night. We just really connected. The next, and then they go on and on. You know, the, 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 if you really want to make a power move and really help their brain go explore it, you ask a question like, well, tell me about the amazing night and the connection. And what their brain will hear is safety. Oh, oh that person heard me. They weren't trying to meet you or whatever. Engage. They're letting my brain feel seen. And Brian, there is an epidemic of people not being seen, understood, and accepted in this world. And I don't mean accepted as, I mean more like accepted for having a contribution to make in the world. Mm. And you know, great communicators, great colleagues, we spend enough time with people that we're willing to be with them so that we can pour the right things into them. And um, so that that's really what all the power moves are about. Yeah, when you said that, there was something that, stood out to me is, you know, why are we having that um, epidemic? And, you know, we've gone to a virtual world, you know, people are working remotely more common. Obviously, some people are coming back into the workplace. But I don't know about you, but when it was, you know, very virtual, it was so easy to go, boom, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, you didn't factor in that windshield time, maybe you're driving or, you know, just give yourself a a gap and a break. You just wanted to stack up as much as you could. Get her done. But I think that caused people to not be able to do what you just said, do that power move of really listening to the other person because they have to hurry. It almost feels like a doctor's office. Like, you get 15 minutes, come in, let me assess your problem, here's a pill or here's a solution for you and then on to the next because they need to move on to the next thing. And to me, silence is where the magic happens. And when you can sit in silence because you have the time to just truly think, uh, that's where we're just missing out on that. We're not hearing what the other person has to say because we're just not giving ourselves enough time to think. Where have you seen that silence play out in your in your entrepreneurial side? Because I, I know that you're really good at the recruiting piece of finding great. Now you use silence for that, I bet. Yeah, it's something that people that have you know worked for me before will always hear, like there's gold in the silence. Yeah. Because we're just always so excited to respond. And you guys say it in the book, and Marty mentioned it on, on an episode as well, about you know if there were one more thing. Yeah. And I think naturally silence allows for that one more thing. Absolutely. And if you just, you might miss out on what that customer is really wanting because you wanted to respond with, oh, I can provide that solution. you know. And to me, it's just sit back, let the conversation come to you, and so you might be you know, surprised at what happens. Yeah. You know, um, that silence, um, people almost rush to fill it if you give them enough space. Because it's awkward. And also, let's also honor brains that may process differently. Silence allows for a brain who's thinking to gather their thoughts and then show up. Um, and so I think it's really important. Um, 
There is one thing I think is really funny though. Um, you know, a lot of times we get done listening to people. Have you ever been done listening mm-hmm. to somebody and you're just like, uh, there's one thing that we've been taught to say unconsciously that lets the other person know. And I bet you say, it, I say it all the time when somebody's talking too much or whenever I'll say, Hey, is there anything else? Mm-hmm. And that word, anything else says I'm done. As opposed to if you're being really willing to stick it out and be curious with somebody, the question, what else? I know they sound like just different words, but what else says, hey, I'm here, I'm longing to hear more. But anything else says, I'm done. Mm. Words matter. Energy matters. Words have a past history in our brain that we make meaning of. So we have to be thoughtful of what words we use. And boy, I, I can suck at it too, even though I teach this stuff. And it's just backing up and realizing you got to keep trying and keep trying and making this a rhythm of life. Yeah, that's the thing. Keep trying at it. Keep working on it. It's not going to happen overnight. Nobody's going to master this. But, you know, if you want to be an effective communicator, which is the way to not only lead your family, but, you know, the people around you, you got to get good at this. And so that's why I think this book is so impactful and important for people to listen to, read. Uh, You know, I know you got plenty of podcasts that they can go tune into as well. But this has been fun to talk about. Um, We mentioned it already, the power of eight seconds. But I think uh, this doing this podcast being able to have a conversation with somebody it's really helped me work on i always wanted to fill that void or complete somebody's sentences <laughs> just to show that i'm listening to you mm-hmm. and you point out that that's not the right thing to do but why do you think that's so common because we're human and we want to be seen understood and valued by the other person mm-hmm. and somehow i mean i still want to do it you want to, it, i don't think it's a need that ever goes away it's a practice that shows respect to the other person by not doing it. And I think it's just our core human suit is frail at some level and has a need. And so we jump way too fast. You don't do that. I've never experienced you doing that, just so you know. And, and it is seen as a, to me, it's seen as one of the biggest gifts. The thing I look for in friends, the thing I look for is, can they just be with me without trying to fix me? And can they ask me a question that makes me think harder about the noise or story I'm telling myself? Mm. And are they willing to be with me as I muckily get in the muck and try and sort through it to become a, you know, a better version of where I am? That's what I think we want. All of us want in our core. Sometimes we just don't know how to get there guilty of trying to be the fixer too often in conversations um especially you know friends but i think at home like with your spouse right it's like sometimes you don't need to try to solve the problem that they're bringing to you they just want to vent they just want to tell you what's going on and they want to be heard and uh yeah it's it's very good life lesson what about as we switch gears thinking parenting as we yeah. kind of come to to wrap the conclusion um i've asked this to a couple people recently but you're the first mom that i'll ask you to okay. uh and i'm thinking about this concept of what is the the role but i think of it as a job description of a father yeah what is that from a mom's pr- point of view how would you say that to me um to protect the family to love the wife deeply and to um parent the children to become healthy and discerning i think that's your job oh that's a very uh, succinct answer 
Yeah, and I don't think it's easy, but I think your number one job is, for me, my the number one job is after loving God, it's to love each other. Mm-hmm. And then for you to show those children what that means, and it's hard, you know. I have um, one failed marriage, I'm in a second marriage, and I see it more than anything now, how important that is, and I knew before, but you know, life can be hard sometimes in marriages, and of course. things like that. Um, and I know how important it is. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I appreciate that answer. What about a parenting tip that you either took away like from your childhood, your parents, or any that you think about now as you want to pass them on to the grandchildren and parents raising them? Pick your fights. Mm. (laughs) Pick your battles. Um, I remember my mom and dad um, not picking every eye roll as a battle that I gave them or every sass that I gave them as a battle, right? Pick the battle you want to fight. And um, I think that's the most important thing. Not everything's worth, and I say fight metaphorically, right? Yeah. Not everything's worth fighting for. What about you? Do you, you, you mm. what do you remember from your childhood? I'll try to give a different answer than uh, what I gave to Marty because he responded with the I same thing. I love that one, by the way. Um, thank you, yeah, I mean. Kindness. For, for my family at home, it was always love was like what I took away, like, uh, but I'll, talk about it in a way that to me what i hope my kids can experience from me that i experienced from my parents was they always wanted to have people around them and they always welcomed anybody into the house like i grew up in modesto i had friends that were rich i had friends that were poor right i had friends in the ghetto and friends in a mansion and like um the friends that you know didn't have a lot even though i didn't have as much as others we always wanted to bring them into the household i can remember my grandpa buying you know one of my best friends anthony a new pair of basketball shoes for a season right or letting him stay over on thursday nights before a game because he can get a better night's sleep at our house than you know with nine people in, in a small little one bedroom <laughs> house right um, and so they showed me how to uh, be gracious to others and I think that was something that I'll take away too, regardless of who they are and, and where they come from. Uh, so, you know, judgment, I think, was something that they never really had. They didn't care who I brought home. They just were going to give them love and welcome into our house, regardless of, you know, what their circumstances. So if I could teach that to my girls, I think that would be great. You know, my dad would treat the janitors the same way he would treat, you know, the president or the CEO of the company that he was at. And mm-hmm. I remember that. Uh, Nacho was, you know, the groundskeeper and he was my dad's best friend. Yeah. You know, at work. And it was just so cool to experience that. So, yeah, if I can teach my girls how to um, treat others with respect and uh, make sure that they know that everybody's going through their own stuff, but uh, try to show them love, too. Sounds like your family had a clear set of values. If I hear it, it was like respect, community and care. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because now I think about it because I'm, I have this vision of the Verdusco values and putting it on the wall. And, you yeah. know, I always wanted that family crest. And so I want to build that with the girls. I think that'd be a fun like yeah. experiment. But my family never did that, and I didn't necessarily need it. They just showed it. So it's what you said earlier, right? You can put it on the wall all you want, but it's that experience. It's what are you doing? So, yeah, I think that's a a life lesson that I'll try to pass on. It is. I love this conversation because um, if there's one thing is if we each just touch two, three, ten people, every single one of us, we see each other. We'll offer that care and that respect, that dignity. It multiplies. Mm-hmm. And that multiplication can heal disconnection and wounds sitting in across our communities and our nations. And I know that sounds really, you know, like 
woo-woo. But it does start with each of us. Mm-hmm. Each of us showing up to love and care for another with just a ton of respect and dignity. So it's important. This, yeah. this show is important because that's what you're doing with all of your people. So thank well, you. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, somebody asked me, how are you going to grow the podcast? How do you want to, where do you want to, what are your goals? And I'm like, honestly, if, if one person learns something on each episode, that's a win for me because I know I'm learning. Yeah. Being able to sit down with somebody Same. like you, I mean, this book was ranked by Inc., one of the best business books in the, the whole uh, world, yeah. right? In 2022. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is on the wall right next to, you know, the household names that I've grown up reading. Thank you. So to have you here with me and share your story and carve out time of your busy day, you know, I appreciate it. Thank I know you. I learned and I hope others can too. So, Jen, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming on today. Uh, thanks for pouring into me too. It was a great time. And that's a wrap for episode number 19. After sitting down with Jen, I can see how and why her clients just rave about her. I mean, she was so good at breaking down the complex and making it seem simple. I learned a ton from her advice on how to show up curious in all interactions, both at home and at the office. So if you'd like to learn more, check out howtobridgethegap.com. I can't recommend the book enough for both professionals and parents. Something that you can take away both uh, for communication skills in the workplace and how to approach relationship building in the home as well. So if you like the show, it would fire me up for you to share this episode with a friend, a family member, and it would mean the world to me if you left a review to tell me what you thought. So thanks again for tuning in. Now go be great and go fitbo some shit out.